All right, what up, Fuel? Hope you guys are doing awesome. We are here downtown at the Performing Arts Center in Denver, and we are in front of the beautiful Temple Buell Theater. This theater has housed many musicals and different shows. I've seen Wicked here, I've seen Phantom of the Opera, I've seen the Newsies, and all of these different shows have just been so epic for me. And probably some of you theater geeks can relate. You're like, it's incredible. Growing up, I loved theater so much and I loved musicals so much that I actually studied theater at a kids performing center um, here in Denver. Growing up, I loved um, um, learning how to act, how to sing, all of those different things. I was in lots of different shows and all that good stuff. I would go to auditions and had a great time. What I thought was interesting about this whole culture of theater is that it's extremely cutthroat and I started to realize that as time goes on. Everybody's trying to outperform one another in this industry. Everybody's trying to be the best singer, the best actor, the best dancer. So much so that you would feel pretty secure about your talents, about your giftings, but the moment somebody came in with a better performance or a better show, all of a sudden you started to feel a little bit jealous and a little bit envious. A few years ago, a TV show came out and it kind of represented this culture within the theater industry. And it was called Smash. And in it, the characters were a lot like what I'm talking about. They were always trying to one-up one another. They were always trying to be the best, right? And it, it really, I felt like, honed in on this culture of envy and jealousy and performance. But here's the deal. And here's the reality for you and for me is that a lot of the time, life can be a little bit like theater, right? And what I mean by that is that we are comfortable with our talents and with our giftings until somebody comes along and has a better show, until somebody comes along and has a better performance than you do. And all of a sudden, it's at that moment when jealousy starts to creep in, when envy starts to creep in. The only question is, when we are tempted to be envious of another person's show, do we give in and become jealous, or do we flee? Welcome to week four of seven, and welcome to Fuel Young Adults. All right, welcome to Fuel Young Adults. How's everybody doing? Sweet. Sweet. We are in a series that I am, I have been stoked about. I've wanted to do this series, you guys, for years. Um, we are in a series called Seven escaping the world's deadliest. And this series is about what the early church and early church fathers labeled the seven deadly sins. They called them the seven deadly sins, and they also called them capital sins, okay? And that word capital comes from the Latin word caput, which means head. And these seven sins, it was said by the early church fathers, were heads or were head sins because they actually gave birth to other sins. They actually brought um, out other sins within us. And so they thought, you know what, these ones should be especially focused on. They should be escaped at all costs. We should try to flee these seven sins. One thing that I think is interesting about these sins is that all of them, okay, are a little bit, um, not a little bit, but most of them are based in like some type of idolatry, right? Pride is idolizing or worshiping yourself. Uh, gluttony, which we talked about, is the worship of food. 
Um, lust is like idolizing sex in some way, shape, or form. And so for you and for me, this is super important because for God, he won't stand for something like this. He won't stand for types of idolatry. And tonight we're talking about, as I said in the video, we are talking about uh, envy. And um, we are not talking about idolatry. We're talking about a form of idolatry called envy. And um, like I said in the video, I think theater, and as I was thinking through kind of my experience in that culture, I think that it's a microcosm for life, okay? And what I mean by that is that everybody is always trying to outperform one another. Everyone is always out for their type of role or for the best role. Everybody's always trying to one-up one, an one another and be, be the best that they possibly can be, Right? It's like we're trying to outperform everyone we know in our lives. But once somebody comes along and has a better show than you or me, that's when we have a problem, right? And envy is a type of idolatry in this. It's idolizing or, yeah, I would say it's idolizing someone's gifts, someone's talents, or someone's role in life. And God says you better be careful because this sin will give birth to other sins. James says this. It says this in James 3.16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James is saying this sin leads to disorder and other sins, right? And then God says this about envy in Proverbs 14. It says... A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. He's saying this, this sin is so destructive that it actually does something to your insides. And so it's so important that you and I, and we're going to talk about this tonight, but for every portion of our lives, it's so important that we flee envy. And so before we get into tonight, let's pray. Let's ask God to be here in a special way and speak to us. Lord, I pray for everybody in here and for myself that you would be here in a special way. And um, I welcome your presence, welcome your spirit tonight, that you would speak to everybody about their role, about their call. God, that tonight that they would have a moment where a light turns on inside of them about what you would have them do and them do alone, God. Um, we pray against envy, and I pray that tonight we would understand that we need to rid ourselves of it for your uh, kingdom, and for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So growing up, like I said, growing up, I was a performer. I, um, and I know it's hard to believe, but I would get in front of my parents, and I would be like, la da 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 you know, and I would put on shows for my mom and my dad in the living room. And I would get out costumes, and we had this crappy little keyboard thing that could record music, and I would put together scores, I kid you not, and I'd play them back, and I'd, like, dance to them, you know, and I was, like, five. And my parents just boosted my ego as a kid because they would clap for me and cheer, and they were like, you are incredible, this is amazing. And so I got more involved with theater because I was like, okay, this is something I'm gifted at. This is something I'm talented at. I'm going to do this. And so I got involved with a thing called Kids Kids here in town and did a bunch of shows, auditions, you know, did the whole deal where you got headshots and you were like, 
all cheesy and black and white and like um, did the whole deal, right? Well, I get to college. I decide I'm not going to study theater, but I am going to audition for plays. And so I go to Colorado Christian University, and they are doing a modern rendition of the story of Job as one of their plays because it's a Christian school and so they're going to do Christian plays and so they did a modern rendition of the story of Job and I'm competitive and so like I am going to go for the best possible role I can get and so I go after Job's uh, wife that's the role that I want to have right so I go in and I read for Job's wife and I think I do a pretty good reading and I'm like boom nailed it you know and feeling like really good about life, really good about myself. And um, I walk out, and as I'm walking out, I see this girl walk in, and I'm like, pretty sure she's auditioning for the role too, you know? And I sit down in the theater, and I wanna check out this girl who walked in with a little bit of swagger. And I sit back in the theater, and I'm kinda like, okay, who is this girl? And she reads for the part of Job's wife. And she slays it. like. I can tell that this girl has acted most of her life like I have. And all of a sudden, something's in me that's like, like, all right. Like a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy, right? But I'm still thinking, well, okay, you know, I did a pretty good reading. There's a good chance I'm going to get this part. <laughs> this is a true story. So it's a true story. Uh, a week goes by. They post the roles on the theater door. And I go, and I go, and I'm looking for my name, and, you know, and I'm like, did I get Job's wife? And <clears throat> I look up at the top of the list, and I see that I did not get that role, okay? That role went to that girl that I saw, and I was like, okay, all right, that's cool. I, I'm guessing I got, like, the second best role, and I'm, like, going down the list, and, like, I can't find my name. And then finally, at the bottom of the list, I see my name, this is a true story, it says, Jesse Hills, which was my main name, prostitute. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, okay, okay, I'm at a Christian school doing a Christian play, and I'm going to play the prostitute that has two lines, right? And I, and I remember my lines, like to this day, I, I went, I had two lines, it was, this is horrible, and let's get out of here, like those were my two lines, <laughs> And it was one of those moments, it was one of those moments where I saw someone get a role that I wanted. It was one of those moments, and I have had many more of those moments since then, where I saw somebody take a role and I wanted it. Maybe you can relate. Because there's a good chance that most of you feel talented, you feel gifted in some ways, you feel like there's an area of your life where you have a little bit of panache until someone comes along and puts on a better show than you. Like maybe for you, you've got some looks, you've got, you know, you're a little bit good looking, but there is always, always, always someone who's better looking than you. Or maybe for you, you know, you put your stock in the fact that you do pretty well and that you've invested in some real estate, but there's always somebody with a better house than you. Maybe for you, it's that you're skilled or you're gifted in the workforce, but there's a guy that's climbing the ladder a little faster than you. There's always someone who's a little more athletic. There's always someone who's a little more talented. 
Someone who's better with crowds. Someone who's, um, you know, got a little bit better networking skills than you do. Whatever your it is, there's always someone who has a little bit more of an edge in their show. And it causes us to be envious. And envy is defined a couple different ways. Webster's defines it as this. It says, it is a feeling of discontent or covetousness. covetousness. Wow. Covetous. I give up. I give up. Read it. Um, <laughs> with regard to another's advantages, success, or possessions. A psychologist wrote this. W.G. Perot wrote this. Envy occurs when a person lacks another's superior quality, achievement, or possession, and either desires it or wishes that the other one lacked it. I would define envy as this, wanting someone else's show. That's how I would define it. Because we're all satisfied with what we have until we see somebody else's show. And there's a story in the Bible... And uh, I brought up a Bible because I wanted to, um, I don't normally, I just read from my notes, but um, I wanted to bring up a Bible because the story occurs, okay, right here in the beginning. We're four chapters deep into God's word. We're four chapters deep into the human condition. And this is when envy occurs. And then it's something that carries throughout all of the human story and the human condition. It's something that you and I will deal with from now until the end of our humanity. It's something that's, um, that God wanted us to understand. He's going to introduce this early. He's going to reveal this sin to us early because he wants us to deal with it as soon as we possibly can. And so if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 4. We're going to start right at verse 1. It says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Um, Side note, if you read the NASB, it says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man child, which I thought was funny. Um, because that's what we call Chad, so, (laughs) this is awesome, we call him man-child. All right, it says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. Okay, stop. Here's what it says. It says, now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So right from the get-go, we meet two different men Two different roles in life, two different personalities, two different giftings. Abel took care of the flocks. Cain took care of the vegetables, right? He took care of the soil. And what I want you to hear, what I want you to understand is that each of these men were given their giftings and their talents by God. They were given their role by God himself. He said, Cain, here's your role, man. Here's what you're good at. Abel. Here's your role. Here's what you're good at. But here's where the rub is. Because each of us in here have been given a distinct call and have been given a distinct role by God. But something happens to us when we see somebody else's role, we see somebody else's talents, and we see that maybe um, they're starting to get a notice for their talents, and that's where the rub occurs. And suddenly, our giftings, our talents, our role doesn't look so hot to us anymore. 
And I'm picturing Cain, and I'm picturing him like this. Like, he's, like, chill because God's like, okay, Cain, you know, you're my son, and um, love you very much, and you are going to tend the soil. And he's like, sweet, thank you. You know, and he goes about his business. He's good at it. Some of us in here have green thumbs. Some of us don't. Okay, I do not. But Cain did, right? And he goes at it, and he's awesome at it. But then all of a sudden, his bro- he sees his brother Abel, and he's out in the fields, and he's, like, fighting off wild animals to save his flock. And all of a sudden, something occurs to him, and he's like, did God not think I was, like, strong enough to do this? Did God not think I was able enough to tend flocks? And all of a sudden, envy enters in. And envy does a lot of things to us, you guys. But one of the number one things that it does to us is it makes us begin to question the plan that God has for our lives. Envy makes us question the plan that God has for our lives. All of a sudden we look at God and we're like, do you not care about me as much as you care about that person? Scripture goes on and reads this. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering as well. He brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look on with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Okay, so I picture this scene kind of like this. Like two kids, two men, two boys, somewhere in there, who come to their father wanting to impress him. And and they're like, okay, so I'm going to bring the best that I have. I'm going to bring the best talent that I have. And they both kind of put their stuff on the table. And Cain brings forth his fruits. And then Abel brings forth his fat from, from his flock, from his firstborn of his flock. And then God looks down, the Father looks down on one of these with favor. Before we get a little bit too religious with this, we need to understand that favor simply means to like or to find acceptable, okay? And we all know what it feels like, we all know what it feels like to bring the very best that we have. And we come to the table and we're like, this is the best I got. This is, this is my offering, right? Right? And the person that we're trying to impress or the goal that we're trying to reach, that person, right, all of a sudden doesn't really look on our offering with favor. They don't seem to like it. In fact, they seem to like other people's a little bit better. God looks at one of the gifts and he likes it more. That's what that text means. He likes it a little bit more. And Cain can't handle it. And he was angry. And his face was downcast. And this is what the emotion of envy looks like. Genesis goes on and it tells us how God responds to kind of Cain's reaction. Because he can see how Cain's acting. He can see Cain's heart. And he says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must rule over it. God is pointing out to Cain his sin before he delves too deep into it. 
And for each and every one of us in here, God will do the same thing. The moment we start to be envious, a still, small voice will say, hey, will you look at how you're acting? Will you look at how you're thinking right now? Envy is at your door. It's at your door. But then he gives Cain a choice, and he says, Cain, look, you can either do the right thing. He says, you can do what's right, and what is right is for you to do your role and to do it as unto the Lord And I will find you acceptable. He says that to him. His promise is, I will find favor on you, Cain. That's his promise. I will find you acceptable if you do what is right. If you work your role as unto the Lord, I will find favor on you. That's what he's promising him. And he says, if you do what's right, Cain, it's going to be great. Sin is crouching at your door and you have a choice. Do what's right and rule over it or give in. And Cain makes his choice right right there. And it says this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, and he's the older brother, so Abel's going to listen to him. He says, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Now envy causes us first and foremost to question God's plan for our lives. But secondly, it causes us to attack our brother. Before you start thinking, well, Jess, I would never attack my brother. Maybe not physically, okay? Psychologists recently have uh, looked at this thing called envy, and they've kind of split it up into two camps, and whether you agree with it or not, I'm not sure that I do just yet. I find it interesting. They split it up into two camps, and they said that there's two types of envy. There's benign envy, and there's malicious envy. And benign envy is a little bit less destructive, okay? And the best example that I can think of of benign envy was a man named Roger, let me see, Roger Bannister, okay? And he later got knighted because he's, we need to get knighted here in America. (laughs) Like, what's up with that? It's awesome. But he was English, and he was an English runner at the time. And um, he was the first man to break the record of the four-minute mile. He was the first man to go under four minutes for a mile. And um, he was on the track, and you can kind of picture it. Everybody's out there with him, right? And they're hoping that he breaks the record, but they're not sure. And he's coming around his last lap. And, you know, the announcer starts to read out, and he's like, three minutes. And before he can even get to the 59 seconds, people are like, like, because this dude just set a record. And it was 1939, and this man was the first man, and they had tried for decades and decades. They'd been timing people for decades and decades. He was the first man to get a sub-four-minute mile. Now, it took years and years and years for this to happen, but it only took 46 days for someone to break his record. Why? Because they had benign envy. All of a sudden, they saw someone achieving something and that it was possible. And so psychologists would argue that every now and then, envy might make us more productive. I would beg to differ, but there's an example of that. The other side, and I think this is the side that we more often fall on, is what psychologists call malicious envy. And the example I thought of for malicious envy was from the 1994 Olympics. Now, who was born in 1994? Yes, there's like, dang it. I was, I am so old. Um, Because I remember this, all right? So it's 1994. I love the Olympics. I love ice skating. And there were two ice skaters that were favored to go to the 94 Winter Olympics. 
One was named Nancy Kerrigan, and the other was Tanya Harding. You guys have probably heard of this story. If you haven't, Google it. It's fascinating. Um, and, and sad, but fascinating, right? And Nancy Kerrigan was favored, that word again, um, to go to the 94 Olympics and was favored to medal. Tanya Harding wasn't much, you know, worse than her. She was a great skater. I think she was one of two people at that time to do the triple axel at the time. Not many women were doing it. And so she was a great skater as well. But for whatever reason, she became envious enough of what Nancy Kerrigan was possibly going to achieve and her edge that she had on her, that she conspired with her ex-husband to hire a hitman to um, take out Nancy Kerrigan in whatever means necessary. And so leaving practice on a January day, Kerrigan left practice, and as she came out, a man attempted to break her leg with a police baton. It's a true story. Google it. And um, just a terrible moment in history, I think, just a terrible moment for humanity when I watch it. And, um, but it was all because this woman couldn't stand the giftings and the talents and the show of her co-competitor. You should know that Nancy Kerrigan went on to compete in the 94 Olympics and she got the silver gold medal. And Tanya Harding cried about her shoelace being broken and got eighth. So <laughs> things worked out okay. Um, and you might say, well, Jess, Jess, I would never kill my brother. I would never, never attack, you know, a co-athlete, um, you know, and attempt to break their legs. True, you might not. But in your heart, in your heart, do you attack your brother or your sister when you become envious? And let me bring it home for us here. Maybe you've been hanging out with someone for a long time, longtime friend of yours, and you've kind of always been the more social one. Everybody's always found you to be more acceptable and more likable. But all of a sudden, your friend starts getting noticed by your group of friends or starts getting noticed by a group of people you want to impress, and he starts getting invited to things that you're not, and all of a sudden, something in your heart wishes that he wasn't getting the attention that he's getting. Or maybe you have a friend that for the last couple of years um, has been climbing the corporate ladder and has been doing such a good job and seems so focused and seems to have favor in the workplace. And um, he decides, you know, I'm going to invest in this portfolio, this stock portfolio, and he does it, and the thing absolutely tanks. And on the outside, you're like, oh, bud, I'm so sorry, man. But on the inside, you're like, actually kind of happy that something's not going super great for you right now. <laughs> I know, we're all uncomfortable, it's cool. <laughs> I struggle with this too. We all do. We're lying to ourselves if we think that this is not something that is going to try to take us out. And so maybe you don't attack your brother outwardly, but inwardly. Inwardly, what's going on? See, because God sees it all. And because of some crazy things, you guys, it causes us to question God's plan for our lives. It causes us to maybe in our hearts um, wish, wish misfortune on another person. But it costs us too. And I want to talk about the things that it costs us before we wrap up tonight. It costs you relationships. James says this. James 4 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. 
See, when we um, envy other people, it is difficult for us to be a good brother, a good friend, a good teammate. It's difficult. And you'll know this, you guys, when um, someone gets success or they gain some type of achievement and it is difficult for you to celebrate with them. It is difficult for you to celebrate with them. I remember this happened to me, um, and I was like questioning whether I tell this story or not because it's so cheesy, but um, when I was a junior in high school, I was nominated for prom, I know, and I was like, la, 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 and I got crowned prom princess, oh, Lord, (laughs) and I remember that night, this is a true story, my best friend, who was also nominated, and my boyfriend, like, ignored me, like, the rest of the night. My boyfriend actually shed a few tears because he was nominated as well and didn't get it. Now, moral of the story, why couldn't you just be happy for your friend? Like, why couldn't you just celebrate with them and be a good friend instead of wishing that you had the role that they had been given? It can cost you your relationships, you guys. It can cause you some dysfunction in a thing that God says is so important. He wants you to have healthy relationships, and it'll cost you that. It'll cost you your confidence. It'll cost you your confidence. Proverbs 14 says this, A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We all have confidence, hopefully a little bit, in the role that God has given you, in in the talents that God has given you. But the moment envy comes in, all of a sudden, the peace that we have, the peace and tranquility that we have in pursuing what God has given us leaves because we look to our right and we see what this person is doing and all of a sudden, we're not as confident as we once were. And it will cost us, we will have this forward trajectory and this forward focus and all of a sudden we won't have that focus and that confidence anymore because we're too busy looking at other people's shows. It'll cost you your confidence. And lastly, it'll cost you your call. It'll cost you your call. Envy above all things, and this is what I really want to camp on tonight and what I want you to hear above everything else, is envy will cost you your call. After Cain killed Abel, God spoke to him and he said this. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out uh, to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth up and receives your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground... It will no longer yield crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. God says, your your call, Cain, the one that I gave you where you work the ground, that is going to be replaced with wandering. Enviers are wanderers. That's what I want you to hear. Enviers are wanderers. See the real tragedy? And I think the biggest tragedy of envy is that it costs us our calls because we're too busy wanting someone else's. Cain handed over his call because he was too busy wanting what someone else had. And I I was praying about it, and I was like, why do we envy? And I um, I felt like it was just that we want to know that our show, what we bring to the table, what God has given us to do, that it's enough. That's all we want to know. We just want to know that what we bring will find favor. That's it. But when we see someone else who, who maybe is doing well or is receiving applause or who 
is receiving favor. We trade in our call in hopes of achieving something that they have, but ultimately we just become wanderers. Because Cain was never supposed to tend the flocks. He was never supposed to tend the flocks. And as I read this, you know, and you can read commentaries and whatever, but this was just my intuition as I read this text. I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, like God found favor on Abel's offering this time. God found favor and found Abel's offering to be likable this time. But in my heart, I'm wondering, maybe next time he finds Cain's offering favorable. Like maybe, maybe Cain gets his heart right. Maybe he repented, he repents and he brings his offering and then God finds his offering favorable the next time. Because he loves Cain, you guys. He created Cain. And he created Cain with the gifting that he gave him. And so if Cain were to bring that offering another time, don't you think there would be a time where God would be like, wow, and find favor? Because I do. But Cain never got a chance. He never got a chance. And as I was praying about envy and over tonight, what I felt like God wanted to tell everybody in here is your show is good enough. And band, you guys can come back out. Your show is good enough. He likes your show. He likes what you bring to the table. I talked about how growing up I performed for my parents and I would always put on plays and shows and whatever. And you guys know that I just had a daughter and I was kind of picturing um, like the roles reversed, right? And, and I'm sitting there on a couch with my husband, John, and I'm picturing my girl like five or six, right? And she's like, check me out, check me out, check me out. And all of a sudden she's like dancing and singing and doing her thing. And, um, and I would just like find so much favor on her, right? Like I would just be like, that is I'm so proud of you. And then I was picturing, like, what if I have a son, like, later on, right? And let's pick, like, let's say, like, he's not a very good dancer, and he's not a very good singer, but he gets out there, and he dances with his sister, and I'm like, good job, buddy. You know, and he can probably tell, like, oh, I'm not a very good dancer, right? But let's say he's really, really good at baseball, and there's going to come a time where John and I are going to sit in the stands maybe a different time, maybe a different year, maybe a different weekend, and we're going to sit in the stands, and we are going to cheer for him. And we are going to find favor on his amazing gifting. And what I want you to hear tonight is that envy is ultimately you and me looking around at somebody else's call and somebody else's role and thinking, I want that show. But that's not your show. And if you can't figure that out, and if you can't bring forth your show, you're missing it. And you're going to miss the thing that God has built you and only you to do. He wants you to do it, and he wants you to do it with so much panache, just so much life. Because only you can do that. Only Cain can tend the fields. Only Abel can tend the flocks. And so don't be envious of somebody else's show. Your show, what you bring to the table, is good enough. He cannot wait to find favor on your show. And if you just give him enough time, I promise you, you're going to have your day in the spotlight. Will you guys stand?
And I'm going to pray for us, okay? God, thank you so much for everybody in here. I pray for every single individual in here. And I pray um, that you would bolster their confidence, God, that they would begin to trust you for what you've created them to do, that they would know, God, that they don't need to look to another man, another woman, and look at what they've got going and say, oh, you know what, I need that. Oh, you know what, I need to be like that. No, God, their show is good enough. And in due time, you will find favor on them, God. I pray that tonight that um, we would be emboldened. We would be emboldened to pursue people for your kingdom with the gifts and the talents that only we have, God. Pray for every individual in there, in here tonight, God, that we would flee from envy and run to our unique abilities and to you, God. We love you so much. Thank you for creating us exactly the way we are and that our show is good enough for you, God. My show is good enough for you. In Jesus' name. Let's worship.